for today's special podcast, and we have none other than Jim Hayes appearing on the podcast for the second time. You're the first guest that's been on here twice. Yes, you're um, our first repeat <laughs> guest, and I will say that you have been requested to be back on by many people to me. Oh, damn. Oh, Celebrity yeah. status yeah. over here. Yeah. And well, so- so today he's going to give us a, a bit of a, a brief history on the Harrison County Fair and uh, yeah, we're, uh, which is happening June 6th through the 12th. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're excited to, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about the history of this fair and, and location and everything. Because I know it's, you know, it's been what, 150 years ongoing. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Um, well, that would, uh, let's see, let's subtract uh, 1860 from ni- 2021. So it's oh, 100. 100- 61 years, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and for a little context, I grew up across the street from the Harrison County Fairgrounds. And so the fair was always a major event uh, in my childhood, in my life. And I spent most of my childhood and high school days uh, working the grandstand, walking up and down and up and down, selling Cokes and popcorn. So I have a special interest in fairs. Yeah, it was a great life. (laughs) It's very interesting. Well, well, first of all, uh, let's let's understand if people don't uh, already understand that the idea of a county fair is uh, not unique to uh, uh, Indiana. It is a ubiquitous thing all over the United States, Uh, probably began in New England uh, and spread west as population spread west, and was oftentimes clearly associated with the agricultural aspects of life, and was many in many times uh, uh, essentially a harvest festival. Mm-hmm. It was it was uh, toward the end of the summer, and it was celebrating the agricultural activities of the rural population. Um, but it but it's all over. The country, the, mm-hmm. the biggest county in the United States, just in case you didn't know this, the biggest single county in the United States is Los Angeles County. By population or area? I've always By population, yeah. okay. uh, six million people. It's a very large area, but six million people live in Los Angeles County. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the Los Angeles County Fair is the biggest county fair in the United States. Um, the second biggest county fair, however, is in Indiana. Really? All Hoosiers should include on their bucket list a trip to the Elkhart County Fair in Goshen, Indiana. Wow. It is, it is um, they take great pride in having uh, by far the biggest county fair in Indiana. Uh, I have been to a few state fairs. Uh, I can tell you that the Goshen County Fair, the, the Elkhart County Fair in Goshen, is probably bigger and more has more substance to it than the Missouri State Fair, the Kansas State Fair, the Nebraska State Fair. It's not as big as Indiana and Illinois and Iowa and Minnesota and places like that. But it is a it is a significant upgrade in what you think of as a county fair. Why would that be? Well, I, I don't know the history of the Elkhart County Fair, but obviously a lot of people in Elkhart uh, have uh, a strong commitment to making it a big thing. It is um, uh, uh, accessible to a significant population radius. And so their uh, entertainment and the various things that go on there are, um, are uh, 
uh, well attended. Mm-hmm. And so it makes a lot of money. And like anything in life, like, like anything in life, uh, a county fair, uh, that makes more money, uh, makes for more success down the road, which gets us to the, the whole idea of a county fair mm-hmm. in Indiana. Um, in 1852, the legislature passed the first uh, enabling legislation to allow for the formation of um, uh, private companies, uh, agricultural societies, for the purpose of operating a county fair. Now, that's the first distinction that we want to make here, because I would guess that a huge proportion of people in Corydon think that the Harrison County Fairgrounds is a public park. Right. It is available. It's just a public thing. Well, that's the way it's it's used mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and uh, but it is not and never has been. It is a private company. It is private property. Theoretically, when you walk your dog over there, you're trespassing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that it's never been viewed that way. And uh, but but, for example, it's quite obviously people pay to the to the company, to the Harrison County Agricultural Society for the right to use the facilities over there. And um, but most people who just walk around are not charged a fee for the for the for the purpose of doing that. Uh, uh, And and so is the Agricultural Society, the fair board? No, that's totally separate. No, the 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 organization is called the Harrison County Agricultural Society, and it began in 1860 under this enabling statute as a stockholder company. Mm -hmm. And it had a board of directors and it had officers president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and so on. And the bylaws of the initial organized uh, agricultural society provided for uh, a scheme for electing uh, the board of directors and having representation from all the townships in the county and so on. Um, It was decided at that first meeting to capitalize the company with 240 shares of stock at $25 a piece, which would hope they hoped would raise about $6,000 and and after they decided to raise $6,000, they immediately decided to start looking for a way to spend it on real estate and to buy some place that would be a county fairgrounds. And drawing on experience in other areas of Indiana, they insisted that the county fairgrounds be centrally located in the county. They, yeah. they wanted it in the middle because they had heard of all the pitfalls of when you had a county fairgrounds, which was not centrally located, not equally easy to get to from all areas of the county. And and they didn't want it to be that way. And so they found a piece of ground adjacent to Corydon. Um, uh, a man by the name of Adelot was willing to sell and they were willing to buy. And um, they they uh, uh, purchased it uh, and conducted the first fair uh on um, in September of 1860, from the 11th to the 14th, four days, Tuesday mm. through Friday and of August, August, September, September, September 11th to the 14th. Okay. They purchased the first. They they conducted the first fair. They they uh, made a, a few improvements to the land before the first fair. They laid out a half mile track and they put up fence around it, and they began to plan for building some buildings. Mm-hmm. Which t- which which by the way. Quite naturally, the, the issue of building and maintaining physical facilities becomes the overriding issue for the next 160 years of the county fair. Right. I mean, 
that's that's what we've got to do is we got to have facilities and we got to figure out some way to keep them keep them up and build new ones if we need them and tear down old ones and so on and so that's basically what's been going on at the fairgrounds for 160 years well, the second you just did a renovation just now with the uh, homemakers hall, right? I yes, yeah, so the and I feel like that happened extremely quickly. Have you been yeah. have you yeah, noticed that, Jim? I, I yes, I'm I'm aware of the project and um I don't think everyone would agree that it happened quickly oh. since the, about a month in there where the contractors didn't show up. Okay. But uh, <laughs> Well, uh, in, in my brain, I was like there one day and it wasn't done. And then I was there the next, right. you know, and I'm like, wow, OK. Well, that was that's the actually the third the third iteration of a building on that site. Right. Uh, the building that was repaired was built in 1908 and replaced the building, which was perfectly round, by the way, a round yes. barn that sat there on. That Do site. we know why it was it's called the Homemakers Hall? Somebody thought that would be a good idea. It's, it was always used for those kinds of, uh, of uh, exhibits. Or okay. the exhibit of, of like produce. pies and... Yeah. The yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. In 1861, on the, the most important thing that the, that the officers decided to do early on, and again, they're permitted to do this by the Indiana law, but, but I don't know. I don't have any information as to how many county fairs actually operated this way, but they were permitted to pay themselves for their work. And so they adopted a pay scale. I think the president was paid $75 a year for his, for his efforts. And this is the president of the fair board. President but, of the fair board. Okay. And, yeah. and, and these are the people who put on the fair. Yeah. Okay. The 19 or 1862 income to the fair board also reflects the fact that they weren't getting just income from the fair, but, you know, for example, they rented out the grassland for hay purposes and, and got some income from that. And by 1862, the sale of stock had, uh, had slowed down to the point where they had sold at that point 203 of the 240 planned shares of stock, and they decided to just stop trying at that point, and that was it. There were initially 203 shares of stock in the Harrison County Agricultural Society. And that's a very important thing because owning shares of stock in the, in the fair became both an asset and a liability. There, there were mm-hmm. times in the history of the fair when people did not want to own shares of stock in the fair for fear that they would be um, uh, considered um, uh, liable for the debts of the fair board. Hmm. Okay. Now, Interestingly enough, uh, there then begins a period of time, uh, about 46 years, where no financial records remain that anyone can find about what was going on with the operation of the fair. And that would be like in the first half of the 20th century? Latter latter part of the 19th century up until about um, 1916. Okay. Um, there are records that be, that begin again at that point, and um, it's not a particularly uh, good story. Oh. Uh, the fair board was was um, uh, again trying to maintain buildings, build buildings, put on the fair, and at the same time, there was apparently a fair amount of um, people that got free admission. Uh, there was there was a fair amount of people who um, who benefited uh, more so than others, depending upon 
uh, what the I can't what imagine the, that ever happening. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what the fair board the, the 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 there was there was jealousy among the various constituencies of the county fair as to who was getting favored treatment and who was not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1921, the fair board uh, went into debt again to buy uh, the land north of Indian Creek that was not in the town of Corydon, and that is. That is basically, you think of it today as the land where the sewer plant now sits. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So that kind of grassy area where the sewer... sewer, Yeah, and and this is another another very good example of what I'm talking about, about this is not a public facility or this is a private company. That slab bridge that goes across the creek there, that's Mm -hmm. not a public road. The the fair board, that belongs to them and they have to maintain it. And if it's washed out... That's their problem, not the taxpayers. Wow. Okay. The taxpayers don't, don't. Now, I don't have any idea when the town of Corydon was able to acquire that little bit there at the end mm-hmm. for the construction of the sewer plant. But I can remember as a child that area being substantially large enough that it was rented out to, at one point, to a traveling circus who came to town and oh. put up a big top. And we oh had, we had a, a circus here in Corydon right wow. there. Wow. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so they bought that in 1921. More debt, okay? Yeah. And uh, at that point, they were also very concerned about the adequacy of the grandstand. It was just not up to snuff. So in terms when of- was the grandstand built? They, it, the grandstand was built, the new grandstand was built in 1926. Okay. And it was, um, uh, it, they, oddly enough, there were some cost overruns on the project. Unheard of, right? (laughs) Um, They started out with a budget of $5,400 and then they had to spend another $1,700 and then they had to spend another $1,500. And so Mm -hmm. the grandstand and the new hog barn, which got added to the project because the hog constituency wanted some some help too, uh, ended up being about $8,600. And during the 1920s, American agriculture was basically in depression yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what a time! And there to, was there was build. also apparently when you look at the when you look at the history and the the concerns that were being expressed, the fair was not being supported. The fair was losing money and was not being supported by the rural residents of Harrison County, and this was a big problem. And uh, incurring all this debt for new facilities. And then having three years in a row where the fair lost money, 1930, 31, and 32, resulted in, in 1933, the Agricultural Society and its board of directors essentially surrendered control of the fair to the creditors of the fair, Mm. Oregon State Bank and the Old Capital Bank. Mm. And for the next 15 years, from 1933 to 1948, the fair was essentially operated by the two banks here in court. Hmm. So, so that's another question. It's not necessarily related, but like at that time, there were only two banks. Yes. Okay. As a child, uh, your family was the Corden State Bank. Families were aligned according to which bank uh, they went to, uh, which church they went to. Oh, the, well, the then my family well, didn't have a place to go. Bob O'Bannon was was a loyal member of the United Methodist Church. Yes. And I think yeah. Bob was on the board of the yes. of Corden State Bank. I know my grandfather yeah. was. But the officers from 1933 to 1948, 
the officers who were running the fair reflect a completely different kind of person than had been the fair board before then. It was all Corridan people. It was all Corridan businessmen approved by the banks with, with, uh, with the mission of not only protecting the bank's debt that they were owed, because the last thing the bank wanted was to repossess the, the real estate and have to sell it in the 1930s when real estate was worth nothing. Um, so they wanted, they had a very strong interest in, in getting the fair back to being a going concern and making some money off of it. And so the, the directors and the officers, the president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, your great, great grandfather served both as uh, Frank Dropsy served as, as uh, uh, president and also as treasurer for a number of years during that period of time. And these were different kind of people. These, these mm-hmm. people were Corden businessmen as opposed to the agricultural and the, the, the people who had run the fair beforehand. Right. And if you look at the mission, essentially the mission statement of this group, it reflects, I think, what they probably perceive to be the reasons why the fair was in trouble financially and the things we're going to correct about the fair. Okay. And I'll just, I'll just refer to them. There are uh, seven items here. One, Insisting that no one interest group dominate the fair, but encourage all to do their part. Okay. Two, reduce the games of chance to an absolute minimum and insist Mm. on close supervision. Ah. It was widely felt that the reason why rural attendance at the fair was down was because there was too much sin. Oh, okay. Oh, not a place where you wanted to bring your children. Okay. Three, organize the administration of the fair into various divisions. Appoint a capable and qualified man to man. (laughs) Yes, of course, to be in charge of each division and delegate sufficient authority to the heads of these divisions to enable them to do their work efficiently. Okay. Make if it's if it's everybody's job to do something, it's nobody's job. Right. If, if somebody is in charge of operating the vegetable display, if somebody is in charge of operating the swine show, if somebody is in charge, then they're accountable. So that was that was considered bringing modern management practices to the fair board at that time. Mm-hmm. Or adoption of a thorough and complete financial accounting system designed to make each division of the fair accountable and subject to audit. Five, provide high type evening entertainment that will attract and satisfy the public. This is a crucial thing. Yeah. We built this beautiful new grandstand in 1926, which by the way, burned down in 1961, but Mm -hmm. get to that part of the story later. We built this beautiful new grandstand and then we, we don't have the kind of high class entertainment that people want to come and see. That's so Mm -hmm. interesting to me that they would have built it without the, the program for entertainment first. Well, they, they didn't, accurately predict the devastation that would happen in America yeah. because of the depression. Right. People didn't have money to spend to go to the fair. Right. And people didn't want to go to the fair because, um, because of some of the issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, six, encourage the 4-H youth club work and make a place for it in every part of the fair's activities. Uh, and seven, with regard to the midway, book the types of rides separate from the grandstand entertainment. To use a fair expression of the day, to have an independent midway. There must have been a great deal of financial or concern about financial shenanigans involved 
with the nexus created by giving one company authority over the rides and mm-hmm. the grandstand entertainment. And uh, for a practical matter, the grandstand entertainment essentially consists of dealing with booking agents and, and promoters and things yeah. like that. But there was a, there, that was a, a, a big concern of this, of the banks. Uh, that was one way to get back to financial solvency was to, to, to not have the uh, ride companies that they were dealing with at the time, the midway type people. And that, to say ride companies is probably not true. Well, because, but that's what everyone always calls it. Well, but back then, I'm, back then it yeah. wasn't, you know, the, the midway consisted of of other things. Well, yeah. My mom's told me stories about like the, you know, the, um, I can't think of the the way to describe it, but you know, the bearded lady and those very disturbing, uh, (laughs) exhibitions. Like the freak, the freak show kind of. Yeah. And like that to me is an example of something like when people talk about how horrible things are today in the world, I think about things like that and I'm like, well, We've come, we've come so far. <laughs> okay. By 1948, okay. the fair using this, this management scheme. And by the way, this program book contains a list in it. And this is the 1959 Centennial program yes, book. Yes. It contains a list of all the original stockholders. So you can probably find in here your ancestor who, who was one of the original uh, stockholders and contains a listing of all the officers from 1860 to 1959, president, vice president, secretary, treasurer. Um, and uh, you can find, as I said, your great, your great, great grandfather was president in 1937, 38, 39, 40. And then he switched over and became treasurer from 41 through 45. So okay. he put in about 10 years uh, toward this effort of trying to uh, save the fair and, save the mortgages that the banks held on the fair. Okay. And my father and grandfather were both full disclosure here. My father and grandfather were both also part of that group of men. You can read through Mr. AI Martin from uh, Ramsey was president of the fair board from 1941 on. Do they Uh, have a requirement that they have board members from each of the townships or areas or good, good question. That was one of the things that was eliminated by the bank. Okay. When they took over, they rewrote the bylaws to get rid of some of this stuff that that they felt was not. And and so, the, as I say, the, the 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 fair board and the and the management of the fair was was no longer um, dispersed. Um, okay, so the- do you think that might create tension between you know if if the entire fair board is made up of Corydon businessmen? Do you what do you think if I wonder if that created tension in the rural parts of the county. Well, I'm I'm guessing the way this reads, and when you look at the numbers, um, it really didn't matter if it created tension. They didn't have a choice. Right. It was just how to it keep was, the fair going. Yeah. It was yeah. surrendered to the banks or mm-hmm. the fair dies. Yeah. Because we we have got huge mortgages that we cannot pay. Right. And so um, so, yeah, it probably but I think the the interest from then on and the total support from then on of the 4-H program probably did a lot to suit the 4-H program didn't begin in America until about that time. And mm-hmm. so um, so so it, it was not a part of the fair in 1860. There wasn't any such thing. 
Um, but 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 that probably continues to this day to make the fair more of a countywide institution. Right. And, and you may and get into this when you you get into the fair nowadays, but um, I'm actually looking at the this year's fair schedule for next week. And I know that in recent years, they kind of, they had the 4-H stuff all before the actual fair started. And it looks like they've changed that and that the 4-H um you know, shows and exhibits are going to be during the fair again. Is that correct? Uh, I, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, the 4-H activities for some time have been far more extensive than can be fit into the fair. Right. Uh, the horse show is before the fair. There's a lot of things on either end of the fair. Plus the timing of the 4-H events, uh, 4-H projects typically are timed to culminate with the state fair in August. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And And that's why it always was in August. And at the end of July, you can't have, you can't have a, uh, you can't have a bunch of 4-H mothers trying to get their projects done in June, two months before they really need to get done. Yeah. So so this becomes a a problem. And frankly, livestock projects, you got to have, if you're, if you're showing 4-H hogs at the County fair, now you have to have two sets of hogs. You have to have your county fair hogs and your state fair hogs, which is great for the people who are in the business of selling baby pigs, <laughs> but um, not so much great for the parents yeah. who have to, who no, have to I, put up with another two months of those wonderful odors in the backyard. Anyway, <laughs> by, by, by 1948, we're, we're back in the black and um, the fair is, is doing okay. And the fair by this point using these seven guidelines for for making the fair more modern and the much heavier influence than ever before on the Corydon business community in making the fair a viable thing in Corydon. The fair by 1948 becomes the more modern kind of an institution that many of us of my age, and I'm 72 next week, mm. um, remember. You know, um, it becomes a... Uh, the box seats at the fairgrounds. Yeah. Uh, uh, in in talking over this with people, it becomes obvious to me now, which I never realized. But the box seats in the grandstand at the fairgrounds were all the the prominent the people who were running the fair. The Obviously, yeah. The people from yeah. the two banks. You know, mm-hmm. your your box was our box seat happened to I don't know where the O'Bannons were, but our box was always next to the Griffins and the Cradens and the Wilson's and mm-hmm. you know, people like mm-hmm. that. Okay. So by 1948 and all through the 1950s, we're, we're operating um, a, a multifaceted County fair that makes money and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and does well. Would and you say 19- that was the golden age of the Harrison County fair? Well, I, 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 you'd have to, you'd have to have the ability. I don't know what the golden age is. <laughs> I know what the golden age is of rock and roll, but uh, <laughs> Uh, Just saying, but, uh, you know, when it was in its it, heyday. Well, it was, um, it was, it's, it's a different thing. Look, society changes, things change. And the fair today is a different thing than mm-hmm. it was because society is different than it was. Harrison County is different. Believe me, I have often wondered if a lot of those people back then who were so interested in getting a bridge built at Mockport and getting the highway from Louisville improved, if they saw what that did to Harrison County and turning it into a suburb of Louisville, if they would still be right. so excited about, 
about decide to do it again. Yeah. And yeah. And, 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 uh, the, 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 the world changes. All right. Um, by 1959, it was decided by the, by the board to have a big celebration, uh, two weeks of County fair to celebrate the 100 years of, of the operation of the fair. And one of the very interesting things that they did, they did a lot of things. I mean, put together a two week program, uh, but, but they, um, there was a guy from Palmyra by the name of Wilson Heiser. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Heiser was a big promoter. And he came up with the idea and got the winning packing company in Central Barron, one of the biggest businesses in the company, a, a meat packing company in Central Barron, to acquire a stagecoach and got the local Chevrolet dealership, Mr. E.A. Parks, to hook his four horses up to the stagecoach. And they drove the stagecoach from Corydon to Indianapolis, carrying an engraved invitation to the governor of Indiana to come to the Harrison County Fair and crown the 100th. I'm getting uh, Cinderella and Willy Wonka vibes at the same time. Uh, That sounds pretty amazing. Yes, it was a fabulous, fabulous thing. And and, What what a gesture. If you look around Corydon, you might even find some little license plates with the logo of the mm-hmm. stagecoach on them, wow. uh, or or even some 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 uh, uh, ashtrays. Um, but but Mr. Parks, E. A. Parks was like I say was the local Chevrolet dealership, uh, but he was much more than that. He was mm-hmm. a gigantic character in the town of Cord. He drove the horse-drawn sleigh, which brought Santa Claus in every Christmas to spur gotcha. all the children. We all, we all adored Mr. Parks. And Mr. Parks' granddaughter, by the way, um, uh, uh, Terry Terry Parks Mm -hmm. Howe, and I believe she told me a story. She would have been no more than just, I don't know, four or five years old in 1959. I I hope that's all. I mean, but Mm -hmm. she told me. She's my mom's age. They've been dear, dear friends. I've known Terry since I was born. Ask her about this or get her to tell tell the story. If you run into her. Because I believe she told me that she got to ride in the stagecoach <gasps> as far as New Salisbury. We should, her, we should her have had her on. Her, her grandfather made her get off. You can do a whole podcast with her telling her memories of riding in the stagecoach. Okay. Oh. It was a big deal. Okay. It was a big deal in downtown Indianapolis when these yahoos from Corydon drove in with a stagecoach pulled by horses and drove through downtown Indianapolis right up to the Capitol building. Um and and that was a promotion for the Harrison County Fair. Gotcha. It was a two-week fair. There was grandstand entertainment practically every night. There was a locally produced pageant, an outdoor pageant of the history of Harrison County. Which oh, man. Played, which played four nights during the uh, I would do anything to have witnessed that. There was one night of the fair was I'm not kidding. One night of the fair was entirely devoted to a uh, uh, formal tuxedos and gowns ball that was held in the gymnasium of the new high school Mm -hmm. up on the hill, uh, which is now, I believe, Corden Intermediate School. Mm -hmm. Uh, Orchestra and everything. It was like prom for for the fair fair people, you know? Um, There was... um, there was a uh, there were live grandstand shows. There was a country music show from Nashville called that starred Homer and Jethro. Mm-hmm. There was a gentleman uh, who appeared at the fair who had been on get this the Ed Sullivan show. 
Oh. He was a singer and a dancer from South Carolina named Pegleg Bates. Oh man. And Mr. Bates was a was a very significant, imposing black man with a wooden leg who sang and danced, and the crowd loved him, and yeah. it was a wonderful thing, except he could not, of course, rent a hotel room in Harrison County. Oh. And the only place he could buy any food uh, was Jocko's Restaurant, and mm-hmm. also he got a lot of food at my mother's kitchen table. Yes. And in order to stay overnight, he stayed with us. Wow. He wow. stayed in our guest room um, in in our house. And wow. I was absolutely in awe of Mr. Bates. Mm-hmm. I remember I was 10 years old, but I finally worked up the courage the next morning while he was devouring mountains of my gra- of my mother's um, scrambled eggs of, of asking him for his autograph. Oh, boy. So, How yeah. old were you when that happened? I was 10. Oh, okay. I was 10 in 1959. Wow. So, so Mr. Bates was, was one of the grandstand shows. There were, there was a rodeo. There were the Saturday show was the uh, auto thrill show. I don't know how to describe it, but, but you could hire anywhere from, I don't know, two or three different auto thrill show companies. Uh, the most popular one at the Harrison County Fair, we didn't always get a uh, wild bill Reed, but um, he was, he was, if, if, the fair board could book him for the Saturday auto thrill show. They did because he was very popular in Harrison County. Well, Um, and I know this is a little later, but everyone, I've always heard the stories about when Dolly Parton was here. That was in 1973. Okay. So that was way later. later. But that brings up, that brings up an issue, which I'm going to talk about Mm -hmm. uh, uh, for, for the the later on section about the, the availability of these, evening shows you know the 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 bank board members back in 1933 had as one of their goals to have better entertainment well that assumes that better entertainment is available mm-hmm. and as society changed you you could no longer book nashville yeah. acts at the i would be curious to know if that's still <laughs> a thing where when people are getting started particularly country artists if they do fairs or if that's gone by the you know the wayside uh, it, it pretty much has. It's 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 really hard. You've got to have a a, a pretty significant seating capacity. You uh, and you've got to charge pretty good money to get mm-hmm. any kind of an act at all. Uh, uh, I was on the board of a large facility when we lived in Kansas. We had a nine thousand seat indoor arena, mm-hmm. and with nine thousand seats, we could only get. We always used to say we could get people on the way up or people on the way down. We could not. <laughs> We could not get any name acts with only 9,000 indoor air-conditioned seats. Yeah. So the world has changed a lot since the days of Porter and Dolly appearing at the Harrison County Fair. Yeah. Okay, big success, Centennial Fair. 1961, big disaster. February 21st, my mother's birthday, the grandstand burned to the ground. Oh, my goodness. How did this happen? Yeah. Well, um, that's... That's a long story better for another day. But fires fires happen and wood burns and it was a totally wooden structure. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. And it burned to the ground. Gotcha. Okay. What in the world do we do? What does the fair board do? Now we're getting into the period of the fair where I have, 
I can draw on my memory because my dad was on the fair board and was was the treasurer of the fair and was actively involved in putting it on. And we we basically lived at the fairgrounds for lots of the year. But um, what do we do? Well, uh, I don't know how much of your audience remembers Bill Gary's junkyard, but I think a lot the, of them. The the uh, buildings and facilities immediately south of the fairgrounds. Um, Where Ferocity is now, for all of you listening. Ferocity, uh, Mr. Gary's daughter operates a furniture store in one of the buildings. Mm-hmm. That was a major business. The guy's name was Bill Gary, and he had a tire recapping plant. He had an auto parts store. He had a junkyard. He had wreckers and cranes and heavy equipment. He had a lot of stuff. And when the grandstand burned, at the same time, Louisville was demolishing their old baseball stadium. Mm. The the, the AAA franchise in Louisville had moved to the new baseball stadium out at the Kentucky State Fairgrounds, and Parkway Field was being torn down. And I have no idea how much money the fair board, if any, the fair board had to pay to, to... to Louisville for the steel, but Bill Gary went over to Louisville and took a section. I believe it was the left field line, took a section of that baseball stadium apart piece by piece, girder by girder, beam by beam, hauled it back to Corydon and rebuilt it into the grandstand that you see today. And that's oh, there. That, was, wow. That's crazy. I never that knew was a ba- That was a piece of a baseball stadium. Wow. And, and uh, in it, and at the time they also bought the, uh, the, the chairs. Oh, they, they installed all the old folding chairs. It was not mm-hmm. bleachers. It was, yeah. it was the, it was the baseball stadium chairs that you would see in a baseball park. Wow. Um, since then that facility has, uh, has aged and has, has, um, uh, 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 there's lots of questions about its continued viability, but just, just so you know, that's where the current grandstand came from. And, and it was not new in 1961. In fact, right. it was old and being torn down in 1961. So that's, that shows you how, wow. how old it is today. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember wow. walking up and down many a time. Yes. 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 Now, was he paid for, for, to do this job to take it down and set it back up or was it I'm, no, I, I'm 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 very confident that 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 the fair board somehow managed. I don't know how they had the money. Maybe they had some savings. Maybe they Interesting. had some, maybe they had some fire insurance proceeds from the from the fire. Yeah. Um, but um, you know the old you mentioned the the homemakers hall. The old mm-hmm. homemakers hall uh, sat back away from the grandstand. The grandstand basically extended uh, as far out as. The, um, the the grandstand that's there today, there's a there's a walkway through it. Uh-huh. You know where your concession stand mm-hmm. was, and yeah. then there's a path. Okay, that was about the extent of the old grandstand. From mm-hmm. there to the to the homemakers hall was open space, and until they did this remodeling this spring, you could still go yeah. and look carefully at the wooden boards in that building and see charred boards where the fire had gotten to that building before it was put out. And if it hadn't been put out, that building would have burned as well. Hmm. Wow. Okay. 
To me, everybody knows that the grandstand came from the baseball park in Louisville, except what's. I don't. What is reality is, is that probably nobody knows. Yeah, I didn't know that. No, no one knows that, Jim. I think it's a great story. Yeah. Okay. But I think this this is kind of a uh, as I look at it, this is kind of a line of demarcation. This is when Harrison County began to change in the 1960s, when the world began to change. Mm When this issue of what can we get for grandstand entertainment that people will pay to see. Right. When that began to change, um, when the population of Harrison County began to skyrocket. That was in the 60s, 70s? Yeah, the 1960 census of Harrison County was 13,000 people. Wow. It's over 40,000 today. Wow. And so, so the, 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 the fair changed and the world changed. Um, uh, the, 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 the end of, well, you talk about Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton in the night, in the early 1970s, in 1962, the fair board every year, the directors and the officers went up to Indianapolis in January and signed up their acts for the evening, uh, evenings of the fair. They met with agents and they matched up their available dates with whether or not these these people could perform. And it wasn't hard back then to get at least one, sometimes two, traveling country music shows out of Nashville. If you saw Ken Burns' documentary about country music, you remember the stories about during that era, the country music performers all had their traveling shows. Mm -hmm. And they would, as soon as the Grand Ole Opry live broadcast was over with on Saturday night, they would pull out of Nashville in their buses or their cars or their trailers and go on a week of traveling shows to make more money just with the understanding that they had to be back in Nashville by the following Saturday to, to appear on the, on the Grand Ole Opry program. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1962, our fair board, I don't know what they paid for them, but they managed to get one of the biggest acts out of Nashville that there was Roy Acuff and Minnie Pearl and their country music show. Roy Acuff is, they're all, country music hall of fame people and and they had no idea whatsoever that as a part of the roy acuff show that year that he would have a young girl singer by the name of skeeter davis Hmm. and by august when the county fair rolled around i feel like you're about to drop a bomb on me (laughs) i'm gonna drop a bomb on you by august the number one song in america in country music was Skeeter Davis singing End of the World. Look it up on YouTube. Well, I'm going to have a link in our show notes. I'm doing so right okay. now. Get, yes. a link, get a link to Skeeter Davis singing End of the World. Because, okay. And you conceive of a grandstand show today at the Harrison County Fair where mm-hmm. the number one song in America is performed live by the artist who recorded it. That's crazy. Unbelievable. Couldn't happen. No way in the world. Yes. Okay. Um, now let me just say that, that the fair, uh, has continued all these years since this time with many changes and, and, you know, most of our audience can probably recall in their minds, the changes that they've seen in mm-hmm. their lives well, yeah. going on at the fair. I, I would just, I would just urge people to think about how difficult it is to get entertainment outdoor entertainment at any reasonable price 
that people will pay money to see in today's mm-hmm. world. I remember they've got if, Netflix at home. Why would they? Right. Well, and, and and like you said earlier, we have Louisville so close. You that if you want to see something, you know, you go there to the big ven- in all the venues they have there, and also state Kentucky State Fair, and so you know the Harrison County Fair is just so small. Um, and the world is so much more connected that it doesn't make sense for it to be a, a place for that kind of thing anymore. Um, when I was growing up, uh, the, the, the demo derby popularity just exploded. And I don't really know if it is as big a deal now as it, it was back when I was a kid. But when I was a kid on demo derby night, if the weather was good, that place was completely overrun with people. I mean, you couldn't well, even get up into the grandstand. There'd be so many people up, up there. Let, let me just let me just point out. I mean, this this world of entertainment really divides itself into two issues. Are we trying to book entertainment which will draw people to our town, or are we trying to book entertainment, which will draw people from our town to come to our event. Mm -hmm. Those are usually conflicting forces, political forces in a community, especially in a community where the outdoor venue, for example, is a governmental entity that is subsidized by taxes. Mm -hmm. Then, Then there's a lot of pressure to provide stuff for the local people. Or is it a, is it an entity that is, that is, subsidized by a bed tax on hotel rooms and you want to draw you want to have everything that goes on there be be stuff that draws people that makes people want to come to our town demolition derby is a perfect example of an event which brings its own audience mm-hmm. it is it is amazing our our arena in topeka that i was where i was on the board we got the award one year for having the biggest and best indoor demolition derby <laughs> In the United <laughs> States of America, 9,000-seat arena. We had indoor demolition derby. Oh, Lord. Every car in the parking lot was someplace other than Kansas. They all came, sellout crowd, nobody from Topeka. Elmer, wow. have you been to a demo derby before? Is it a thing where I you grew not, up? I'm or? very interested, but, you know, I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't grow up seeing demo derbies. Um, and then the first time that I was like, it piqued my interest, uh, it was during COVID, which I was not going to show up for. No, <laughs> demo we were, derby. Yeah, but, living, I still live relatively across the street, just one back one street. And we looked over at the fairgrounds last year. It was like at the height of COVID and it was just like, mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's like yeah, it's a whole different topic right there. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Anyway, well, sorry, go ahead. I'll just I'll just uh, uh, try to wind this up. A couple a couple points I'd make about the notion that that the, the that the Harrison County Agricultural Society and the county fairs generally, especially in Indiana, are private businesses, not governmental entities. Uh, about five years ago, six years ago, maybe the fair board was alerted to its rather. Uh, I guess maybe an archaic um, legal status as a stockholder company and got some help from their attorneys to convert the, the, the business into a 501c3 corporation. So it is now a nonprofit oh, okay. 501c3 uh, corporation. No longer, if you have a share of stock in the Harrison County Agricultural Society, 
it's it's decorative in your home. It's mm-hmm. not worth any money. The, the the stock company doesn't exist. Um, and the other thing that I would talk about in comparing the Harrison County Fair to other county fairs that I've seen in Indiana, and I've been to a lot of them. Um, first of all, a lot of them are um, uh, the, the the grandstand issue is is pretty paramount. I mean, it's the biggest building on the fairgrounds, the biggest financial headache that a fair board has. And you know, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And the a couple of new, brand new grandstands in Indiana. Uh, if you're ever near Shelbyville or you're ever in Jay County at Portland, Indiana, stop by the fairgrounds and take a look at the grandstand, and you'll see a, a, a modern facility that is clearly been designed and built as a community use facility. It is, it is no longer assumed that the fairgrounds grandstand will only be used during the fair. Right. And, and that's, and, and if you, you know, if you build it, they will come. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you know, for example, the Shelbyville facility uh, is positioned such that it is ideally suited for any kind of community. I don't know if they have. Well, high that's such a good point. I mean, why isn't high school graduation held at the right. fair fairgrounds? Right, right. That like, type of thing. I'm sure. I, I'm guessing that yeah. it is. But, but anyway, that type of thing is is where county fairgrounds are headed. Right. Is maximizing income by by getting more, becoming more of a community use facility. Yeah. The other thing is, is that. Some county fairgrounds and lots of state fairgrounds have permanent buildings on the site, which are commercial enterprises. People, people build their building for their food concession. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a Hooks drugstore on the grounds of the Indiana State Fairgrounds, even though Hooks Drugs has gone out of business a long time ago. And, well, it's, it's not out of business. It's called CVS now. Oh. But there's still an old Hooks <laughs> drugstore. Uh, on, mom and pop. The, well, they uh, I, the CVS. I'm guessing that lots of the Hooks drugstores in Indiana became CVSs. Yeah. But 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 the original Hooks drugstore building at the Indiana State Fairgrounds still has the sign and is recognizable to those of us who remember Hooks Drugs as an Indiana company. Um, but so in our so in, for- our, in our county fair, that type of thing was quite apparent back in the day when you talk about the golden age of the fair. The Park Chevrolet Pavilion at the Harrison County Fair was a permanent facility constructed by Park Chevrolet for the purpose in August of rolling out the new Chevys. And everybody, everybody in town went to the fair to see the new Chevys, Mm -hmm. the next model year of Chevys, and to get a Park Chevrolet yardstick. Permanent facility. Hey, that was still a thing. When I was in high school, you weren't cool at the fair unless you had one of the yardsticks. Okay. And, you, and you would carry that yardstick around and you would spin it around and you'd use it as a walking stick. Oh, yeah, it was a whole thing. In, in my, in my <laughs> understanding I mean, of the fair, there's only been one instance in the history of the fair, at least the modern history of the fair, where a private business has been operated on the fairgrounds in their own building that they built. Um, and presumably the fair board got some revenue from it. You know, you know, the 4-H building in toward the west end of the fair, kind of mm-hmm. straight back from the what's called the homemakers building. It's where they that, play bingo. 
it, well, they play bingo, but it's a 4-H display building where a yes. lot of project displays are. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was a roller skating rink. The company had a roller skating rink. That was the summertime roller skating rink. And their indoor wintertime roller skating rink is still standing. It's up on the hill. It's right by uh, your house, Elmer. Is that right? Mm-hmm. On the, so, it's, uh, auctions is now. Yeah. But but that's an example of a, a fair facility with a private business that's located on the fair grounds. I'm surprised that there's never been any of, the, of these food-related private businesses because you see that a lot at county fairgrounds and you see it all over the place at state fairgrounds where the food vendor will just build their own building. Hmm. The other building that was, that was there was a, a Harrison County Farm Bureau built one of their pole barns on the fair property. And, and for years, it was sort of a living, breathing advertisement for their pole barn business. Come to the fair and see the, see the construction of the barn and then buy one and we'll build it on your farm. You know, <laughs> and, and that's very common, very common at, at state fairgrounds. You'll see, you'll see the major uh, uh, pole post frame building construction companies like, like, um, um, uh, uh, oh, the, the ones I had were from Wisconsin WIC buildings, but, but, um, You'll see those buildings on on fair properties. Mm-hmm. The implement dealers will have their own buildings and their own facilities, stuff like that. You'll see that a lot. Um, but that's that's something that uh, is not at our fair. Um, yeah. Well, it's I, it, it's interesting to me because the what you said about attracting people from around here or you know um, out of town and. Because I've I've noticed over the years that it's less of a thing for locals to go to the fair. Yes, I, I mean that's that's the that's the tension that exists in this kind of an environment. Is is how who do we get to buy tickets? Are we going to try to sell tickets to local people, or are we going to try to sell the most tickets and and have people come? And that's that's a dilemma which confronts every. Every board that governs a, a venue like this, whether it's whether it's a private enterprise company or it's a public entity, um, that problem is what they constantly face: is is how do we get people to come? And um, and yeah. as I say, it is within the trade of of uh, putting on these kinds of events. Um, uh, things like demolition derby bring their own audience. Tractor and- pull, truck pull. And yes, yes, you're there to root for your guy. Mm-hmm. That's why you're there. And um, things like music shows and stuff like that bring people everybody, from, yeah. from your area, exactly. from your town. Exactly. Hey, Elmer, have you ever been to our fair since you've lived here? Uh, I, I did go once. Um, and I was so new to, to the whole Harrison County. I had just that, moved that's here. That's like jumping and- in the deep end. Yeah, and I, you know, like I, I, it was like a culture shock kind of thing, and so I didn't really get to grasp everything about the fair and all that. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, the next fair, so that I can like go in and, and enjoy the, the shows. And, mm-hmm. It's yeah, worth a look. I, I, kinda, I don't. Have, I mean, the demo derby is a sight to behold. Um, I wouldn't yeah. say it's my thing, but I, I appreciate and respect people that enjoy it, and and. 
it is a spectacle. You, you, it's not something you see every day. That's for sure. I mean, it's shocking. It sounds like it's, it's a culture thing. I, I think yeah. it's a, a special for a lot of people just because it's part of like growing up in, in mm-hmm. Harrison County. I, I get it. Um, yeah, I will. I will say I have one complaint, though. And if anyone from our fair board is listening, which I highly doubt that they are, but <laughs> I don't want to have to pay admission to get a lemon shake up from the Lions Club. Okay. <laughs> I want to be able to walk in, go get a lemon shake up from the Lions Club and then leave. But you have to pay admission just to get in to the vendors. And I need the Lions Club to be right outside of that because they make the best <laughs> lemon shake ups you've ever had. And you, anyone listening that's had one knows what I'm talking about. So okay. that's all I'm saying. And, and I would obviously, Graylin. This conversation, this sentiment that you have just articulated, yes, was probably in similar, if not perfectly identical form, expressed in the 1920s. Yeah, these are the same problems that have have always confronted this. How do we do? We charge admission at the gate, or for the rides only, or oh, you know, yeah. per ride, all that <clears throat> kind of stuff. Yeah, this, and and when the banks took over the fares. I read you out the list of things that they did. One of the things that they did was they decoupled Mm -hmm. the entertainment show. You had to buy a separate ticket to go in and see the the music show. Yeah. Or you had to buy, I mean, heck, you had to buy individual tickets for individual rides. It was like that Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and as far as, I mean, I, I don't know what the, 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 the point is, is that they've got contractual agreements with all of these promoters Mm-hmm. I don't know who they deal with on the demolition derby, but that's some promoter guy yeah. who is organizing it and doing all the work to get all the contestants to come and to figure it all out. And for, for that work, he gets a big cut of the proceeds. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, so that's, you know, that's kind of the issue. And um, uh, you know, the, the, the same thing with the Nashville country music shows uh, 60 years ago. Um, except <clears throat> maybe I shouldn't say this. Um, I'm pretty okay. confident that even the most big name Nashville acts drove out of Corden that night, having been paid for their efforts mm-hmm. in, in U S currency. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the accounting systems were not, you know, um, uh, this wasn't a wire transfer to a no, bank. No, no, they they were paid they, cash. They needed the folding green paper. Got to, you. To buy gas the next day at their next stop, you know. I, I'm going to use that the folding green paper. I'm yeah, use that. yeah. That, going forward, I'm going to use that. Okay. Well, this was so informative. I yeah. I I learned a lot. I mean, like I said at the beginning, you've been we've had requests to have you back on and I think you are now our official in-house historian. Okay. Well, what I, I, I have no idea how I got that hand. You, you know, I guess. Uh, yeah. History lesson. We should, we should what? have these episodes every couple months. History lesson. Okay. What's, what's just so I can prepare. What's your next topic? I don't know. We, you, you, you tell us. I'll think about it. And get yeah. <laughs> Well, we thank you so much. 
Thank you. All right. Have have fun. Bye. (laughs) Bye.